Our text is Psalms uh, chapter 1, the first psalm. And I'm going to give you right now a couple extra passages that we'll be going to uh, after we look at our text uh, first. But I'm going to be looking uh, at um, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 through 7. That'll be followed by Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and 9. That is building up into what our text is about. Actually, the message tonight, as we look at these things, looking at revived going forward. In other words, we have a revival meeting. Great. Uh, I don't think we've ever had a revival meeting here. I, now, you may disagree with me, but I can't ever think of having a revival meeting. I had to say, oh, that was terrible. There's nothing in that. And, uh, boy, it makes you ashamed that you even had it. <laughs> no. We've had good preaching, it seems like, every time. And people have made decisions in some revival meetings more than others. Some for salvation. Others as Christians for rededication. I was listening to our radio station when I first got in my office this evening and uh, J. Vern McGee was on there and he was talking about repentance and he says, you know, repentance is not just for the unsaved. And he was speaking out of Revelation. He called on his people, the churches there, to repent. And so many times God's people really need that repentance in their life. Oftentimes, a revival meeting makes us realize, man, I've just gotten away, as Dr. Uh, Farrell was talking about the first love, how you're so excited when you first got saved, and you're separating from sin, and you're separating unto God, and serving Him, and you kind of got into a cycle to where it was just mechanical and not a heart thing. And so, how do we keep that up? That's the idea. How do we keep that up? So, as we go into our text, Psalms chapter 1, I want us to keep this in mind. I'm just going to read the first three verses here. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bring forth his fruit in his season. By the way, this is our season of life on earth. We have an eternal season, but we have a season right now on earth to bring forth fruit. His leaf also shall not wither. Just won't go backwards. And whatsoever he doeth, shall prosper. 
So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into the Word tonight. Now, Father, as we look into your Word tonight, Lord, I just want to cover some things here that's important for every Christian to understand, for every Christian to see, especially as decisions were made in our hearts, Lord, as we heard the Word being preached and and the Spirit spoke to our heart. And we thought on those things and we realized that uh, this needs taken from my life. This needs added to my life. I failed here. I need to turn it around. But whatever it is, Lord, we want to go forward in the revived walk that doesn't abandon the decision in a short time after the decision is made. But it's an eternal decision. So bless this time in your word. I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Back after this last episode I had in December, uh, I had to start listening to Alexander Scurby. And uh, boy, I was picking up so much. It seemed like, man, I'd listen to him read every day instead of me trying to read myself because, boy, it seems like his interpretive reading is so good. Uh, but in Psalms chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, I just saw some things as he was reading. That Maybe sometimes reading it, I thought on some things, but really to see it as a unit, as a whole, was another thing. And so that's where uh, these sermons were born from. It was during this time uh, being at home and convalescing and things of that nature. But now the first uh, passage I want to look at is Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verses 4 through 7. It's an interesting passage that we see here in the Old Testament. We think of it sometimes as two different Testaments, New Testament and Old Testament, yes, but it's almost like, well, now that we're in the New Testament, uh, the holiness and the standards of the Old Testament just aren't important anymore. Oh, no. You see, the thing we don't do from the Old Testament are the sacrifices. Because they all look to the ultimate sacrifice, and that sacrifice was made on Calvary. And so we don't go through that, but we do uh, some things as listed here in the Bible. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 through 7, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Now let me just stop there for a few moments and say a few things about vows. I've had people over the years say, well, a vow was an Old Testament thing. It doesn't apply to today. Well, a lot of people evidently think it's true because they make vows in marriage and they don't keep them. Well, that's different. Oh, yeah, yeah, the vow in marriage is more important than any vow you make to God. You know, people want to say things that are just more ignorant than what they realize. They're not smart enough to realize how ignorant it is when they say that, those things like that. No, vows are for this day. A vow is a promise. It is a commitment promise. It's not wrong to vow unto God. But understand this as well. Where are vows born? In your walk with God. Sometimes you'll 
have your own reading in the Word of God and you begin speaking to your heart. Other times uh, it's through the preaching of the Word. And in Timothy we're told to give attention to reading. Back then they didn't really have the printed Bibles as we do. And to exhortation. That was the preaching of the Word. And so they had to give their attention to these things. Well, God would speak to them. It's through the reading of the Word I knew I was called to preach. It wasn't through Daddy called me or something else happened or, man, a lot of people are doing me. I want to do this. No. I grew up in pastor's home. If you grew up in pastor's home, you say, man, there's a lot of aggravation involved that I don't want to have. Uh, believe me, it's that way. You, you kind of sometimes think, I would like to have a private life, you know. And, and that's the way, that's way it comes out. But it's, it's that way. It's through study of the Word. As a matter of fact, I had to spend a lot of time in the desert out in Arizona when my dad flew out there and just said, uh, the deacon sat down, we voted to call you as my assistant, you'd be here for two years and then uh, take over for, as pastor. When those two years were up, I said, Dad, he came to me and he said, I, I, well, I'm going to be stepping down in, in, is near the end of May and, and I'll continue through June and then you'll be the pastor. I tried to talk him out of it. I said, Dad, God called me here. I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. You need to keep on pastoring. I tried to talk him into it. I, I talked to him a couple different times about staying on. First time I tried, I said, well, try two more years, Dad. And I said, well, at least one more year. He wouldn't hear no. I've made up my mind. Okay. Now, I, I tried. I, I was scared to death. But I spent days in the desert. I mean, I, I had a church of about 30 people and 35 people. That we'd, we'd won about all those people, most of them, from just going out door to door. I mean, there was one or two that were in there that were saved, but the rest of them were led to the Lord by us. And so when you think about it, here, here are people that got saved out there and you're saying, man, I'm leaving a church. I come out here to plant a church. Now I'm leaving it. And these are new Christians in Christ. I've just been here a year. And that doesn't make sense to me. And I, I was trying to make sense of God's will. I remember my dad getting on an airplane as he and my mother were leaving, going to leave. And he had asked me that uh, while he was there that week. He said, uh, he told me all about what the deacons had done and so forth and what they were thinking about. He's going to step down. I mean, when he retired, he was 66. He was just a kid. Okay. So, so he's telling me that. And, and uh, that evening when I was back home with my wife, uh, we'd been out during the day. My wife and mom were out somewhere evidently with the kids. And then dad and I was out together. And, uh, I can remember getting home telling her, no, we won't say no while they're here. We'll wait to get back and break it to them. We don't want to mess up the rest of the trip here, so we'll just break it to them when we get home and tell them, no, that's not the way the Lord works. And that, that's really the way I felt. So he's on the tarmac. starting Back then you could actually walk out to the tarmac, you know. It was, that's when America was safe. And, and you could walk out and get out there, and they would... Uh, look at you and uh, talk to you or whatever. But you can see them, they're just about getting ready to get on the airplane. And the last thing Dad said to me, now remember, 
before you answered, you said you would pray for this. I think he already knew what I was thinking. So when I first started praying, I said, Lord, help me to say this in a way that won't hurt mom and dad so badly. Matter of fact, I can even remember when I went away to college, I realized I probably would not be back in Ocala on a full-time basis, just a visit would be it. That's what I thought. And I said, well, Lord, you called me, so I'm going to do it. We'll see each other in heaven. So that's, that's, that's really was my thinking. Well, the Lord wouldn't give me any peace. And you ever have something that's on your mind and it just seems like it's getting heavier and heavier and heavier and you can't do anything that what you go throughout the day and week, it's just there with you. And that's the way it was. I got to the point where I would fast about a week. I'd spend all night in prayer. Got to the point where I'd just go get up in the morning and go out to the desert. Have my Bible with me. I, I started walking through the desert. I didn't know the place where I was, but I, I remembered the place from that point forward the first time I got there. I started just walking through. I said, well, the car's over there. I hope I don't lose it. You know, I was looking for landmarks to see where it might be if I got way out there, got lost in the desert. So I'm walking in the desert and walked across this building. It looked like a kind of a church building or something. It had open windows. It didn't have glass in it, just all open windows. It had benches, but nothing else. It didn't even have a pulpit up there. It's just there. So sometimes I'd go in there and sit down to pray, and, but mainly I was reading the Bible in there and just going out, praying, thinking about what I was doing. And God just laid it on, laid it on me, laid it on me, laid it on me. Finally, one day, I realized that's what He wanted me to do. Now, in the meantime, there was a church in that town, Fundamental Independent Baptist Church, right in the middle of Tucson, Arizona. Oh, it was good. I got to know the pastor. We became friends. I spoke at some of their meetings they had and uh, just had a good time with them. We went out together, did things together, his wife and my wife and I, you know. So we, the, the four of us just went out and did things. And I said, boy, I'd love to have a church like that. And I even told him, I said, you know, I'd like to have a church like yours sometime. And he'd smile. I said, uh, Lord led me here to plant this church, but then I said, anybody that comes to visit my church from your church, I'll send them back. And I do that. I, I, to this day, if somebody comes and they tell me they're from, for an example, Memorial Baptist, an independent Baptist church, I said, you know, we come up here to visit you from Memorial Baptist. We're to, I'll, I'll call the pastor and say, so-and-so come to visit me and uh, visit our church and so forth. I don't know if there's a problem going on or anything like that, but I want you to know they're here that may be something you're not aware of. And, and Brother West will tell you, I've told him that on several occasions. Sometimes I've had people go down there, got mad at me, and uh, I hate to see anybody leave, but they go down to be with Brother West, I know at least they're going to be under the preaching of the Word. So, that's the important thing. But nonetheless, I can remember it just got so heavy that finally, one night, I just said, okay, Lord, I, know you, I don't understand this at all, but I know you want me to go back. And I will. So we, uh, I called Dad. And I said, Dad, and this is after about three months. I mean, I, it didn't happen right away. It's after about three months. I called Dad and said, Dad, I'm going to come back. 
I feel that, yes, God does want me to go. I don't understand it, but I feel like He wants me to go. The most interesting thing, now some of you can associate with this. Not everybody gets to experience it. It's, the experience isn't the thing, it's the call of God's the thing. But nonetheless, it was like somebody took 300 pounds of weight off my shoulders. It just was that clear. And so I said, we'd come back and we set up a time for me to move back there. It'd be about a week later, to be honest with you, but I wanted to get this other church. I'd started and had those people together. I wanted to get them connected to another church in town and be a part of it. Whatever monies that we'd collected, we put it right back in to whatever church they went to. Now, the very next day, that pastor that was my friend that we went, was in that part of that church said, well, I need to tell you this. I'm getting ready to take a church in Idaho. Our people know this, and they all want you to come and be their pastor. I said, man, if you'd called me 24 hours earlier, I would have done it. And that told me why the last week the Lord was so heavy on my heart, more so than the other time working up to that. You say, what are you trying to say? I had to promise God I'd go back. And you know, when you make a promise to God, think about this. It's not that you say, well, man, if you go and follow my will, boy, everything's going to go great. Man, it's going to be wonderful. That would be good. When I can remember asking Brother Randy Osborne about coming here and, and working with us. And financially, oh, it was great for him <laughs> before he came here. Uh, you know, uh, what we pay him is, is not really what they say, hey, man, that's a great salary or anything like that. But, uh, and I tease him about, about it, but to tell him that, hey, man, you come here, it's going to be so great. He, he's found out what battles are about even more so. He knows what political battles are. Now he's known what, what it is to be in a Christian ministry and be battled by the devil. And I'm saying all that to say this. When I got back, we were so happy. We joined the church that Sunday morning. I think it was the first Sunday in September of 84. But we were just so happy to be here because we knew it was the Lord's will. And that first Wednesday night, we had a wana back then instead of master clubs. I went over there. We had leaders working with the boys and girls that didn't even go to our church. I considered, wondered if some of them were even Christians. And the way they were dressed really left a lot of saying, wait a minute, this is a leader and this is the way they're dressed? Provocative dressing and, and that's the way they're here? I went home that night just about in tears thinking, Lord, did I misunderstand you? Did I make a mistake? And I guess that's where the Lord let you know, I called you here. Maybe I called you here for that. And there's some other things that changed over the years. But you see, we had to come because God called. And God's been faithful the whole way. Has everything been smooth? No. Some of you have been seen some of the battles that uh, we've had. Some as a church, some is individually, but there have been battles. But God has been right there and been faithful. Uh, I've told our teachers on, from time to time each year uh, that I meet with them at first, this ministry shouldn't even be here. 
it shouldn't even be here because we've been attacked so much, so many things have been said about us, false accusation, lies and everything, whether it's about me or other people or the school or the ministry, it shouldn't even be here. So why is it? <laughs> because when it stands on the truth of God's Word, it's going to get attacked. And so when you make a vow unto God, say no matter what, I'm going to keep my word to God. That's what we do. Now I'm not exalting myself because I'm, I'm purposely leaving, leaving out all my failures. You don't want to stay here till midnight or later just to get the first bit of it. So what am I saying? I'm just saying you stick to it. Stick to the call of God. If you fall, what does a righteous man do? What does a righteous person do? He gets up again. He gets up again. So when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Now just think about that. Israel was God's people when this was written. You and I, by the way, are God's people as well when we become his children. But he says, don't be a fool. Make a promise to God and not keep it. And what happens so often? We blame people. We blame situations. We blame so many other things. No. God knew it was there. He just allows us to go through them. It proves the metal of the inner man. He says, pay that which thou hast owed. Better it is that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Uh, I've heard people take that passage and say, you see, God doesn't really, in this New Testament era, want you to vow. That is not what it says at all. If God lays something on your heart, he wants you to promise him, by the way. If he lays something on your heart, he wants a promise that you're going to keep. Any promise you make to God is as important, if not more important, than your marriage vow. So he doesn't say don't vow, but he is saying don't make foolish vows that you have no intention to keep. Don't make foolish vows. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. That's where many times revival decisions never stick. Because it was never seen in the personal aspect of, I'm making a promise to God. Now, the good thing about our text was that he says there in Psalms chapter 1, he gives advice right off the bat, those first three verses, of what not to do and what to do to maintain that walk over the rest of your life. Defer not to pay it. He says, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Sometimes your mouth causes your flesh to sin and that you make a vow and then you've made a lie because you don't do it. Sometimes your mouth goes off in ways, uh, he talks about the scorner here in this first verse. And you develop a fault-finding, scornful tongue. 
And, and that's also very foolish in God's sight. So again, he says uh, there, he says, It's better thou shouldest not bow, not pay. Suffer not thy uh, mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Therefore, and really say wherefore, should God be angry at thy voice? and destroy the work of thine hands. Oh, Lord, I got so caught up in the emotion, or I got caught up, but I didn't really mean it. Those words make God angry at you as one of his children. Hey, oh, God would never get angry at his children. No, God always loves his children. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. I scourge them, God says. So, when you think about it, the love of God, if you're one of His children, it's going to be that He is angry so that in His love He can chasten and scourge you. And perhaps not with the amount of anger that we actually deserve as one of His children. Remember the first time you spanked one of yours? Unless you got caught up in Spock and you never spanked one of yours. Okay. But remember the first time you spanked one of them? You hit them and they were crying. And you had to go back into the restroom to hide so that they didn't, didn't see that it hurt you right here too. So... Understand, understand, don't be a fool. Do make promises God wants you to promise. I'm going, I'm going to be back. I'll be, I'll be back this afternoon at 5 o'clock. Are you going to have that yard mode? Yes, sir. Are you going to have that garbage? Yes. Hey, girl, you going to have the house clean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that answer of yes is a promise. Dad comes in. The grass has not been touched. The house has not been cleaned. He's angry. But it doesn't mean he hates you. He wants to correct laziness. He wants to correct having the wrong priorities in your life. God does that. But sometimes he tests us. He allows these things that come into our life. He does it to prove the metal of our inner man. Is it real? Is it real? So don't suffer your mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. And that's what he calls it. Breaking a promise to God is sin. It's a fool. You say, well, you know, 
It was an error that I made that statement. I made that promise. No, it wasn't. You came under conviction the Holy Spirit made the promise. But then the flesh took over and you didn't want to keep the promise anymore. This happened to me. Every honest Christian say that they've been saved for a while. It's happened to them as well. He says, for in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also diverse vanities. Oh, something makes me feel good. But fear thou God. I've watched young pastors of churches. I've had young men in here, as a matter of fact, as youth directors in other areas. They had standards. I thought, man, they're to the right of me. And eventually they end up, and they're in the contemporary, they're in these other things, and some older individual, some older preacher, somebody gets them to the side, and they start talking to them about, oh, don't you want to get more people the way you're going to get more people for the Lord? Okay. Bring in that music. Don't get rid of those standards. That's old-fashioned. They don't mean anything. Can you find anything in the Bible that says you're not supposed to do that? Well, I don't think, see anything in the Bible that says do not take crack. Do not take LSD. But I'll tell you what, the principle's there. It's in the Bible. And those older men can convince these younger guys so many times. And they end up in that way. I have no, no problem saying are they sincere that they're doing it because they think souls are going to get saved. But not understanding the doctrine of repentance. You don't save them with sin. You call them to repentance from sin. So you look at a passage like that, then let's just move on to another passage here in Exodus chapter 19. Because we have a call. You see, this first verse is uh, here in, in Ecclesiastes. We see here that uh, consider your words. But in Exodus, uh, I want us to see here Christ's call, his call on you. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5. Now therefore... If ye obey my voice, indeed. Now, sometimes people say something to you, you know what, this, this, this. Oh, indeed. No, indeed is in action. If you, in voice, if you obey my voice, indeed, you carry out the action. And keep my covenant, the promise between you and God then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. <laughs> all of the planet, and he says, if you'll just keep your promises, carry it out, indeed, <laughs> you're going to be very special to me. Yeah, there's going to be hard places, but don't abandon the word for the hard places. 
Don't abandon the promise, the covenant with God. He goes on to say, And ye shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Whew, I'm glad that's Israel, not us. They're going to be the nation of priests. What does priests do? Speaks to God for people. Speaks to people for God. That's what a priest does. Boy, that got me out of it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And nine. Now you're in the New Testament. Please understand, the New Testament, Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law, I came to fulfill it. He didn't do away with the Old Testament, he fulfilled it. Those ethics, those principles are still there. You know, a person doesn't get saved, they reject it. Guess what they're going to be judged by? Jesus said the words I have spoken. In essence, he spoke every word of the Bible. <laughs> Those Old Testament things they thought were legalistic are going to be the legalistic things that they call legalistic that's going to determine if they're unsaved, their punishment in hell. And you wonder, why? Why? Do men allow the flesh to get hold of them and lead them in their decisions? But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Ye also, as lively stones, also, you know, that Israel knew that they were called, but now ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable unto God by Jesus Christ. They offered lambs and certain other clean animals on altars in that day as it was laid out in the Old Testament. The sacrifices you and I lay up are spiritual. but they must be acceptable unto God by Jesus Christ. That's why we read in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, understand His mercies involved in this, that you present your bodies, this body, this temple that we walk in, a living sacrifice as that ox that was not offered as a dead animal on a altar, but rather pulled the plow at the husbandman's direction to hoe the row that God wanted it. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. And how's that sacrifice to be? Just like the lamb that's supposed to be without spot or wrinkle? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable Service. That word service has in its Greek root the idea of worship. I can actually worship God with my body by being holy and acceptable unto Him. 
and carrying out his will in my life. And so we have a royal priesthood. He says, again, looking at this passage, he also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, holy, a holy priesthood, and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable unto God by Jesus Christ. Then verse 9, but ye are a chosen generation. You know, you have a lot of people talk about uh, election, chosen. And that's true. Before the foundation of the world, God both chose, elected, and ordained the blood of the cross. But all of it happened before I was ever born. You see, the choosing would be applied, the election would be applied, the blood would be applied if, since I am created and you are created in the image of God, if the free will of our spirit would accept that message, then the election is applied to us. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. How are you a royal priesthood? Because you're a child of God. Remember, it was David's children that inherited after him. It was Aaron's kids that were in the priesthood that took over after him. A royal priesthood. You're speaking to people for God, and, and you're speaking to God for people. A royal priesthood. And we have that call on us. And holy nation, that's what he called Israel. As saved people around the world, anybody that's saved is part of a holy nation. It's not England, it's not America, it's not China, it's not any other country that's a holy country. It's saved people make up a holy nation. Uh, Peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him that hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How can he take a murderer in the darkness and turn him to the light and use him? Uh, the Apostle Paul was one. Moses was another. How could he take the darkness a harlot? Mary Magdalene was one of those, and she's the one that makes the announcement of the birth of Christ. Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot is in the ancestral line of Christ. Joseph, Mary, the nurse Christ. What do you think about that? He can take anybody from darkness to light that they'll turn to him with their heart and soul. A life commitment. That's the God that we have. And so without even getting into our passage tonight, I want to get on this. To know, for us to know, 
He has a call on our lives. We've seen it here in 1 Peter and Exodus. We've seen it here in Ecclesiastes. Be so close and so personal with God. Walk with Him daily. Be in His Word daily so that He can impress things on your heart. You ever ask your kids what they want for Christmas or for birthday? Dad, Mom, what do y'all want? Why do we ask that question? We love them. We want to please them. So as the Apostle Paul, who at the time was Saul, is on the road to Damascus, that light shines down from heaven. He realizes the very one that he's killed his servants, the very one that he's trying to persecute and destroy the local churches, loves him and wants to save him. And he says, what would thou have me to do? Christ would show him that he would suffer many things. He would one day be beheaded. Christ was not, God was not punishing him. He took his punishment, all of our punishment on the cross. He was opening a great door of opportunity. That the faith that he once destroyed would be a part of those that would rebuild that faith. But not only that, he would even die for it because it was that important. I don't know if you made a revival decision this week or not. I hope you wrote it down. You may not need to write it down. It might be just in your heart and mind fresh. That's good. Keep it fresh in your heart and mind every day. Go back to it. Where am I? I made that decision. Where am I? Where am I? Have I allowed circumstances? Have I allowed fleshly popularity? Have I allowed friendships to take me away from the very words I've given to God? Well, if you fall, get up again. Go back to that love. Go back to that love. Let's bow our heads, please.